You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. This is our third Sunday in our series called Exiles, which is a study of the book of Daniel, a look at Daniel and his friends. And uh, so two weeks ago when we began, uh, Pastor Greg gave us the uh, quick and dirty uh, history lesson slash context and setting of the book, which is a whole thing in and of itself, as well as setting up the main theme of how uh, Daniel and his friends remain faithful in exile and how we ourselves can learn from them as we experience our own kinds of, of spiritual exile today. And last Sunday, which uh, was Family Sunday, and I want to point that out because the kids were in the sermon and I just declare that it was quieter last Sunday during the message than it is when the kids are downstairs. So I don't know what reversed, but uh, there was, I think there was some uh, serious bribes going on between <laughs> the parents and children in the room. So in any case, it was really great to, to have the kids join us and be on their best behavior. Um, so last Sunday, we read through chapter one of Daniel, and, and Pastor Greg shared the message about uh, some of the particulars of what it looks like for Daniel to, um, to remain faithful and to know who he is and who his God is while he's living in Babylon and living in exile. So today, really, my goal is to just keep that momentum going. Uh, I'm not even going to be leaving chapter 1. We're going to circle back to a few verses which we read last week that I want to focus on. And um, as I prayed about it and was studying about it this week, I was just so amazed at what God has uh, put in these verses which we'll be reading, the significance of different things and the truth that's there for um, not just Daniel and his friends, but for us as we uh, read. So that's my prayer that our eyes will be open and, and God will be leading us. And I, I know that he is, so I'm thankful. If you have your Bible, like I said, you can open it to chapter 1 of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And I'll be starting at verse 6, reading to verse 8 this morning. Among them, from the Judah, Judites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. So let's talk about names. We're going to talk about names this morning. My name is Blair Matthew Stretch, although I haven't always been called that by everyone. Around the year 1995, when I was six or so, my parents loaded us up into the Windstar and took us out of Alberta into BC to go to the Okanagan. There's a village there called Naramata. If you know, you know. It is primo. Um, just a small place uh, nestled on the on the backside of Lake Okanagan where there's uh, a village and, and a family camp. So we were going to this family camp as we did a few times. And I had this memory 
and I don't have a lot of super early memories, but this is definitely one of them, um, of playing on the beach in the sun, having the best time of my life, and and there was another boy around my age too. And as, as kids tend to do, we just started playing together, and, and we were friends right off the bat. We never met each other, but uh, we were having a good time throwing sand at each other and jumping in the water and stuff like that. So everything seemed to be going really well with my new friend, except for one problem, is that this guy, whose name I actually can't remember, ironically, um, he continued to refer to me as Claire, not as Claire. <laughs> he called me Claire, and there's nothing wrong with the name Claire. It's great, but it's just not my name. It's not my name. So I remember trying, too. I, I, you know, when someone says your name wrong, you either ignore it and hope that they don't bring it up again, or you gently correct them, or whatever it is. And so I'm sure I laughed, like, oh, it's actually Blair, but he was already gone and, and come back, and you'd be like, Blair, let's do, or Claire, let's do this, Claire, let's do that. And, and uh, yeah, I've never forgotten the kid who called me Claire, and for some reason it offended me. Um, you know, I took it pretty personally, because it's not my name, it's Blair. And I've been called many other things since then. If you've ever ordered a drink at Starbucks, you've probably had a similar uh, experience to what I've undergone, too. It's like, I think this is my drink, because it's what I ordered, but that's not my name. Anyways, it's uncomfortable for us when someone calls us by something that's not our given name. Um, and it's not that King Nebuchadnezzar and his staff wanted to rename Daniel and his friends for no reason. Uh, in, fact, in fact, it was for a very specific reason, as we've already learned. Um, Daniel and his friends have been taken uh, from their homeland into the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon for a reason, and that is to be assimilated into Babylonian society and educated and raised up um, actually for leadership, for government. Uh, they were selected because of their intelligence and ability these are just young guys, Daniel and his friends, and so that's why they're where they are. And the story that plays out throughout the book is crazy. But uh, at the beginning, the process starts for their assimilation into the king Nebuchadnezzar's presence. So the first thing they do, apparently from what we've read, is they do away with the Israelite names given to them and give them uh, Chaldean names to fit the local dialect and scene. Um, so when we read this right off the bat, we're, we think, oh no, right? Because we, don't, we understand the importance of, of names and how it means something to us personally, like me on the beach with the, the stranger calling me Claire. It's like, don't rename them. This is bad. But something that I learned, which I wouldn't have thought of, is that um, to be renamed by a king, although it has those implications, the other side of it is actually that it's supposed to be a great honor. right? For King Nebuchadnezzar to give these guys new names with his seal of approval is supposed to be an honor. It's a good thing. It carries with it a certain weight of importance, um, of being associated with royalty, and so on. And so in, in that sense... It's not supposed to be all bad that Daniel is now called Belshazzar. It's supposed to actually be kind of a blessing from Nebuchadnezzar and his leadership. 
What's profound for us to understand, though, is the definitions and meanings of the names, both that were taken away from Daniel and, and the new ones, the meanings of the new names that were given to them, too. In the cultures of, of Israel and Babylon, um, both assigned names had meaning attached to them. For some of us today, our names mean something to us. For others, though, it's just our name. And there's not a, you know, a literal definition of the name. But in their day, both the names that they would have had in Israel and the new names that they were given had definite meanings. And so the Israelite names of these young men from the beginning had an important cultural meaning to them. It had a religious and spiritual meaning to them as they came into Babylon. So as we learn about their meanings, it's amazing to see what's in there. Um, the original names of Daniel and his friends, I'm just going to list them off really fast. Um, this is what they mean. The name Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means who is like God, or in other, in other words, who is like our God. And Azariah means Yahweh is a helper. Yahweh is a helper. So the names that these men were raised with from the beginning, they all breathed truth about who they were, and more importantly, who their God was. Yahweh is my God. He's my judge. He's my helper. He's like no other. Before exile, Daniel's sense of self was tied to these things, the God that he knew and worshipped. Their names breathed worship to their God. That was before, though. That was before, and now they're displaced in Babylon, and everything is different, or at least it's supposed to be. In the eyes of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel and his friends were no longer Israelites. He didn't care that they were from Judah, necessarily, because now they were in Babylon. So they changed their names. The newly bestowed names can be translated as follows. Bear with me, because it is kind of confusing. Daniel's new name, Belteshazzar, is a call to the wife of the false god, whose name is Bel, that she would protect the king. O lady, protect the king. Hananiah's new name, Shadrach, means I am very fearful or command of Aku. And Aku is another false god, the moon god in Babylon. Mishael's new name means I am of little amount or who is like Aku. So another uh, phrase of praise for this moon god, Aku. Or Aku. Um, and Azariah's new name, Abednego, means servant of the shining one, Nebo. And what uh, interested me with this last one, I read a note about this god Nebo, and he is the god of um, educational arts and rational thought and things like this. And so it's very fitting as um, Abednego is to be uh, educated in Babylon and and under their law and way of thought that um, his name would sing the praises of such a god as that. So it's obvious these Chaldean names are not selected willy-nilly. They weren't found on Google at the top of the most popular names of the year chart, although maybe they were popular at the time. I'm not sure. 
But in any case, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's cha- uh, staff decreed new names for a specific purpose. And it's interesting how they're, they're surprisingly similar, right? The, the names that Daniel and his friends had before and the names that they have now, they're actually not that different in terms of what they mean, but a very important detail has been changed, and that is that Yahweh has been removed and false gods has been put in his place. And their new names speak those names of the false gods, pagan gods. So the old Daniel is supposed to disappear. right? The old Daniel is supposed to disappear along with his religious heritage, his identity and spirituality, the God that he worshipped and loved. The new Daniel, or Balthasar, he's alive for the purpose of serving the king and the society that Nebuchadnezzar rules and the gods under which he follows. So this assimilation process, at least as far as we can tell with the names, it's blunt and it's intense and spiritually significant. And so under this pressure, without a doubt, the temptation in exile is to give in and forget that Yahweh is with us. Isn't it? The temptation in exile is to give in and forget that Yahweh is with us. So this is all amazing for us to think about and learn the meanings of these names and and the implications therein, but what does it mean to you and I? How do we um, take this information and make it a part of our own faith and understanding? Can we see ourselves in this story? I think absolutely we can. Um, The question that we can ask ourselves first and foremost is what names uh, have we been given? What names have we been given and to what extent have we accepted the names that we've been given regardless of what they may mean? I'm not talking about our given names, Blair versus Claire, though sometimes, like I said, there are you know definite meanings associated with our names and those are important, but I'm talking about the labeled parts of our identity that we operate through and the lens through which we see the world based on how we identify ourselves or how other people have named us over the course of our lifetime. It starts young, doesn't it? Um, You can take grade school, for example. As soon as you're in the classroom setting and you have things to accomplish and deal with and peers around you and, and teachers and whatnot, very quickly... You start to understand uh, who you are and how you fit into society. Let's say you are a natural at academics. Soon enough, someone will either tell you or, or imply, or you'll get the sense that you are smart. You are smart. This is a label that we will receive. And it's a good one, or it feels good to be called smart. Um... But notice how it's not, or at least usually anyways, we're so lazy with our words. It's not that, um, you know, you're able to solve problems or you do a good job of um, this task that you had to accomplish or or whatever. But but the label is just, it's about who we are. It's you are smart, not you behave intelligently or whatever. It's, It's encompassing of our sense of ourselves which is all well and good, 
um, unless, of course, you're on the flip side of that statement and you don't measure up to whatever um, scales are, are, are in place and you can't perform well in certain subjects or parts of school and then, well, right away you have this sense of yourself that you're not smart or that you're stupid or whatever. And um, heaven forbid that anyone ever actually tells us this although that happens too. But in any case, we get an understanding of, like I said, where we fit and who we think we are in terms of our intelligence, our ability to perform, and we make it about our identity. Um, Transitioning into adulthood, I mean, the examples there of of names and labels that we accept just multiply, right? There's, There's so many... Um, things that we could look to and talk about. I was thinking about it, though, in terms of uh, the experience that our nation just went through with selecting a new prime minister. So it was election time. Uh, The flavor was very political on social media and the news, and and so there was lots of discussion and debates and and name-calling, and some of it was appropriate and lots of it was inappropriate in terms of politics. but I'm interested in how that happens and how we not so much identify with the actual politics and, and care about the decisions and the policies, but we care about how we fit into a certain party or part of the spectrum or whatever, and then we call ourselves names based on how that works. And um, as far as I can remember, too, this was, you know, in high school we're doing social and you take the test to find out where you fit on the fall on the political spectrum, which is helpful because you need to know how this stuff works. Um, but in the end, it just gets reduced to I am conservative, I am liberal, I am this way, you are that way, and so these labels or names which we put on ourselves um, end up being reductive. And furthermore, we categorize other people based on these. Uh, political views as well. And so, again, it's not about the actual decisions being made or something like that, but it's about my identity. We call it identity politics. That's a dangerous game to play, but it's one that politicians uh, play very well, and they just lob it to us. Home runs. So, it's dangerous, and and I, I don't think that these names and labels are always constructive or helpful or what God has meant for us in terms of how we see ourselves and our identity. We all have these names. Like I said, they can be positive, negative. It doesn't really matter. Uh, But if we allow them to define us and who we are and define other people and who we think they are, then this is not the biblical worldview that we are to have as Christians. And so as we think about this, I want you to consider it and start filling in the blanks for your own sense of of self, who you see yourself as. And I want to remind you and challenge us today that whatever names people have either blessed or cursed us with, um, they aren't really, in the end, who we truly are. Instead, God has given us names which tell us like Daniel and his friends, who we are and who he is. 
Scripture gives us language to undo the power of the names which our own culture has prescribed for us. For example, 2 Corinthians 5, 16-17, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is one of my favorite passages. Behold, the new has come. So for our discussion today, what I read from this is whatever layers of, of names and identities we've you know, accumulated over time, Jesus is more than able to strip those away as he saves us. It says, Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. It is no more. We can know who we are in God's eyes. We can know as well who other people are in God's eyes, right? We're freed from regarding ourselves and one another on arbitrary or, or cultural um, measurements. And instead, Jesus frees us to be alive in him, to be a new creation, and to regard other people in this way too, as brothers and sisters, right? Beloved people created by the same God. Galatians 3 speaks to this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We're all sons of God through faith. And then later in 1 Peter 2, 9, which is part of the passage which we've printed out and put in small writing on the exiles graphic, because it speaks again and again to Daniel's story. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We can leave that passage up just moving forward to, to read and reread for a few minutes here. So back to Daniel and his friends. They were in exile. They were given names which were in place to draw them away from the God that they knew and loved. And yet, as we'll discover and as we read at the end of today's passage, somehow they found ways to choose for themselves not to allow their life in Babylon to have the, its full effect, to not erase their God-given identity. So as we reflect on our own sense of self, our own name, so to speak, as I said, I invite you to pray on these things, which no doubt many of us have prayed about before and, and will continue to pray about, because this is an ongoing process. It's not a one-and-done dealing with um, who we were and who we are, but, you know, because we pick up baggage as we as we carry along. So there's always going to be things that God can reveal to us that we need to surrender back to him. But pray about it. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you so that you are aware of your exilic names that you've accepted and may, may be operating under, because sometimes we aren't. Sometimes we don't know that we see ourselves in a certain way and and maybe it's been so long that we've had this perspective that we truly need a supernatural breakthrough for God to reveal that to us. So let him do that and trust him in this. 
Allow God to show you the places where you've placed your identity upon good or bad and give those names over to him in exchange for his word and his truth about who you are. A good place to start is that verse from First Peter to recall the holy people of God's possession that you and I are welcomed into through the grace of his son Jesus. And in this knowledge to be set free from our burdens and to be able to truly live in the light as God has called us out of darkness, not only to experience it for ourselves, but to shine a light in the darkness for people living in and around us. We need to be reminded of this, of our identity in Jesus, in order to live in the spiritual and cultural exiles that we are a part of today. I wanted to include verse 8 in the passage because it's interesting that one of the ways that um, Daniel chose to remind himself of his true identity was through not eating from the hand of the king of his um, most amazing food and wine that he would offer. Right? Daniel refused, which we read about last week as well. Um, instead of the king's diet, Daniel and his friends said, let us eat just vegetables. Now, the purpose of this could be a few things, and there's debate about why they chose this diet. But the most significant, in my opinion, is the choice for Daniel and his friends to be aligned, not with the provision of Nebuchadnezzar and his palace, but with the provision of Yahweh in their life. They've been given new names, which they'll no doubt be answering to as they work and live with um, the king and his staff, but they've been given new names and then offered the best food and drink. And so the temptation was there, no doubt, to come, to give in, to eat and drink, and in the process, like I said, to allow this assimilation to have its full effect, to forget the God of Israel and to stop relying upon him and to just receive what's been given to them, the riches of the kingdom of Babylon. But they refused. They chose a different meal, which was symbolic of the fact that spiritually and personally they remained in their homeland, another place, one where Yahweh was on the throne, in spite of being saturated in the Babylonian context. So they chose a different meal. For Christians, the tradition of communion is another meal which serves a very similar purpose for us, reminds us of God's place as king in our lives. One teacher put it like this, and I really love this. He said, In the Lord's Supper, we eat our native food, remind one another of the cost at which our discipleship was bought and of the ultimate feast that awaits us at home. I'll read that again. In the Lord's Supper, we eat our native food, reminding one another of the cost at which our discipleship was bought and of the ultimate feast that awaits us at home. So today we are invited to enter into this, to eat together this unique meal and to be reminded that God reigns, that we are invited and welcomed as citizens in his kingdom, a holy nation, a people under Jesus. 
we see the two elements which remind us, uh, first and foremost, of our sin in all of its violence, forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. We have the crackers resembling the bread that Jesus broke and gave to his disciples and told them to eat his body broken for them. We have the juice resembling the wine that the disciples passed around and shared as Jesus taught them that this would be uh, the new covenant for them in his blood. So in just a moment, I will invite all who believe to the tables to come and take these elements back to your seats. And this morning, if um, if you'll wait once you've taken them, I'd like for us to partake in the Lord's Supper together this morning. But first, let's pray. God, thank you for giving us Jesus to be our perfect and final sacrifice on our behalf. God, I thank you that the names that we have received hold nothing against the power of who you say we are, loved, forgiven, and welcomed home with you forever, thanks to Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, Lord, as I was saying I ask for your spirit to highlight the areas in our own personal lives and hearts where our cultural names are affecting us, perhaps distracting us, bringing us down, or or drawing our attention, our gaze away from you and your presence, Lord. Thank you that you are gracious and so quick to forgive, God. You're faithful and mighty to redeem even the darkest parts of our hearts, Lord. So may we trust in you today, God, as we surrender whatever we're carrying at the foot of the cross. We receive the gift of communion together and are reminded of our true homeland that you have promised and that you are leading us towards for eternity through Jesus, your Son, empowered by your Spirit. So we thank you, Father. Amen.